recorded live. Hello, this is William Fink, and this is Christogenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, October 5th, 2013. Praise Yahweh, the God of true Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight we're going to um, embark on a, on a journey. We're going to embark on a series of programs which are aimed at explaining to sea line from a very pragmatic or practical, if you will, point of view, using little but scripture and a small collection of apocryphal books, apocryphal books which the, the, the apostles themselves quoted. Tonight is sort of a preface to this series. Tonight we, we will discuss the creation of man. More confusion has been sown, much of it purposeful by people with agendas, over the creation, the, the various creation accounts of Adam in the book of Genesis. Which man is which? The Genesis 1 creation of Adam, the Genesis 2 creation of Adam all of the various personal agendas tied into different interpretations, which ignore the rest of Scripture, which ignore how the words in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 in reference to man are used throughout the balance of Scripture. It's a shame, it's a damn shame that this program must even be presented or that this topic needs to be discussed in the rather pedantic manner in which it will be tonight. So many men call themselves teachers and want to interpret the opening chapters of Genesis apart from the rest of the Bible, ignoring the statements made and the way in which the same words are used all throughout the rest of Scripture, usually because something they think that they can prove fits one of their own personal agendas. The creations of Adam and Genesis, all three of them, yes, there are three of them, not two, those creation accounts all describe the creation of one and the same Adam. In Bible kindergarten, yeah, Bible kindergarten, one should learn that Adam was the first man, as Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the first man, Adam. Paul equates the word man and Adam again in Romans chapter 5. Nowhere in Scripture is the idea supported of an Adam before Adam. It is only a device of crooked men with perverted agendas, usually wishing to squeeze someone into the definition of Adam who does not belong there. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, Genesis 5, they are all the same Adam. We will see that tonight. Two main theories which it is our endeavor to explode this evening. And they sure should be exploded. The first is that Yahweh Elohim 
created a plural Adam from which other races descended in Genesis chapter 1, and a singular Adam in Genesis 2 from which the white race descended. This is the classic swift compare theory, the sixth and eighth day creation theory, and it is wrong. The other theory to blow up tonight, it's a little more recent, but, but it comes from the realm of science fiction for the most part. The theory that a plural Elohim created Genesis 1.26 Adam, from which other races descended in Genesis 1, or from which other white people, don't ask me who they may be, descended in Genesis chapter 1, which is really ridiculous. And a singular Adam in Genesis 2, created by Yahweh Elohim, from which the chosen line of white people descended. Or, alternatively, the chosen line of white people descended from the Adam of Genesis 1.27, while some other white people descended from the atom of Genesis 1.26. That's even more ridiculous. This is a theory held by certain clowns who claim to have exclusive truth from God. How do you it debate that? It is similar to theories espoused by turkeys, such as Thomas Davies or Zechariah Sitchin. This theory, in all of its variations, is also easily proven wrong. Well, Bill, how do you, how do you debate uh, that, though? If, if you say 2 plus 2 equals 4, and I say, no, God told me it equals 5, God's just not talking to you, well, where, where do we go from there? We can't have a rational discussion. That's exactly the attitude. That's exactly the attitude of certain people I have in mind who espouse that theory. Right, so that there's no possibility of coming to an understanding. There's no wisdom in a council of many. If one person just claims that everything he wants to believe was communicated directly, personally, by God, well, then he's always right, you're always wrong, and you might as well just ignore him and let him be right in his own little delusion, and you go back to work. Exactly. Isn't that arrogant? It's absolute arrogance. There's something of a third theory I've heard from mainstream Judeos that I don't think we need to address, but I just want to throw it out there. They claim that there was one Adam, and he had all the DNA for all the races in the world within him, and he gave rise to all the races. And since that's biological nonsense, I don't think it even merits mentioning. It's you know, not only biological nonsense. It's absolutely contrary to the word of Yahweh our God, whose first law is kind after kind. Right, kind after kind. You, you can't have a white man mate with a Chinaman and give birth to a Negro. I don't care how many times you want to copulate with a white woman, you're not going to give birth to a Negro. I don't care how many times two Negroes copulate together, they're not going to give birth to a Chinaman. It's absolutely absurd. It's ridiculous. And, 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 and it, it's childish conjecture about the nature of the Bible. Well, if you ask a five-year-old, can um, a dog be born from the union of two cats, they would understand dogs come from dogs, cats come from cats. Kind after kind, the natural law of God. Of course, man has made many hybridized bastards, and many of the races, many, especially the non-white races, there are a lot of whites that are really bastards, but most 
all of the non-white races historically can be proven to be nothing but hybridized bastards and, and their violations of kind after kind. And we'll get into that in the later, you know, as this series unfolds in the, late, in, in the subsequent weeks, but we won't get into that this week. Along the way tonight, we will explode other related but minor theories concocted by the same harebrained fools who have concocted or who adhere to the, the first theories that, that I've outlined here. In the following examples from Scripture, we're going to concentrate a little on language tonight. In the following examples from Scripture, we will see instances where the word Adam, which is a noun, appears in four forms. And the word Adam also has other parts of speech, but here we're concerned with the noun. These four forms are Adam, the generic noun, Ha-Adam, which is the noun accompanied with a definite article in Hebrew, and Eth-Ha-Adam, which is the article and noun accompanied further with the Hebrew word Eth. And the Hebrew word Eth by itself is often used as a preposition. And we will discuss its usage where it appears as Efha Adam. These are grammatical constructions. And also a fourth, a, a fourth form, and there are other forms, don't get me wrong, because of the way the Hebrew language is written. The fourth form, and we will see examples of it, is Alha Adam. And Alha Adam is the article Ha, the definite article, with the noun Adam, and another preposition. And we will see those four forms explicitly discussed tonight. There are other prepositions which are placed in front of the word Adam or in front of any Hebrew noun. These are grammatical constructions. And those other prepositions have their own meanings or designations. For, the, for our purposes this evening, we will only concern ourselves with these four. All right. I have a maybe a silly question. I see we're about to get into Genesis 126, and God said, let us make man in our image. Is this the royal article, or who, who's God referring to us and our? And... Well, well, there's two choices there. But, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that further momentarily. But there are two choices. There are two ways to understand that. And it's not really um, it's not really worth debating which one is correct because the important thing to understand about Genesis one twenty six is that Genesis one twenty six is only the proposition of the creation of man. In Genesis one twenty seven, man is created by the singular Elohim, by the singular by the singular God, and we'll discuss the differences as we get there. And that's coming up real soon. Okay. In the construction, Eth Ha Adam, which we see in Genesis one twenty seven, this word Eth, according to Strong's concordance, has other meanings, but when used as a prefix to a noun, it is generally used to point out more definitely the object of a verb or preposition. 
Strong goes on to explain that for this reason, it is unrepresented in English when used in this manner. Now, the enhanced Strong's dictionary to Strong's concordance, to the enhanced Strong's concordance, has a very similar definition, which grammatically, the two definitions are exactly alike, if you understand grammar. The enhanced Strong's dictionary built into the BibleWorks software that I use says that it is an untranslatable mark of the accusative case. Now, the accusative case is the case which serves as the object of a verb or preposition. So the first Strong's definition is correct. The enhanced Strong's only updates the definition for, for precisely more grammatical terms, but, but the, the differences in the two definitions are very unimportant. The enhanced Strong's uses the language of grammarians, but it's precisely what the original Strong says with different terms. The F, in other words, is a feature of grammar. And in order to understand features of grammars, you can't understand features of grammar from any lexicon or concordance. You have to study the grammar of a language in order to understand all the little differences in the way words are used or the way words are spelled or why articles are used with words. And grammar, a, a grammar of a language is usually compiled by people who actually know and have studied the language in every instance of every word and, and have codified these things. Now, with ancient Hebrew, of course, we don't really have native Hebrew speakers. In order to do this for us, it had to be done over centuries of debate and argument among scholars and trial and error. And, right. and, and Greek, we've actually had grammarians codify the Greek language for us in the Hellenistic period. The, 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 all the little nuances of Greek grammar have basically, in, in its spelling and in its usage, not necessarily in its pronunciation, because we, we really don't know exactly how most Greek words were pronounced, the ancient Greek, but in its spelling and in its usage in writing, the, Greek, the ancient Greek grammarians of the 3rd, 2nd, 1st centuries BC and thereafter yeah, you know, they, they codified the entire Greek language for us and, and explained it for the I was, most part. I was going to say, as far as language is concerned, we do know, though, that the whatever they're speaking over in the bandit state of Israel, it is not in any way related to biblical Hebrew. Well, well it's very loosely connected, but, but it's, you know, they basically speak Yiddish. They've added a lot of European words. They've changed their spellings. They've changed a lot of the grammatical forms that they've bastardized the language, right? Uh, and there's no doubt. Just like, the, ju just like the Turks in Greece today who claim to be speaking Greek, they're not speaking Koine Greek. They're not speaking anything like it. They're speaking a very bastardized version of it. So we're going to start with Genesis 126. When we actually start to, be, to present a two-seed-line series and can get beyond these differences in, in the accounts of the various creations of Adam, then we'll start at Genesis 1-1. But we won't have to present all of these little details all over again, I pray. All right, shall I read the um, Genesis? 
if you would like to. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And and this is... um. You know, a lot of people like to read this, and they like to see two creations of man here. But there aren't two creations of man here, not at all. They like to see two different creations. And this is the Thomas Davies supposition. Genesis Rediscovered, or, or whatever the name of his book is. I forget the exact word. The um, And God said, let us make... Adam. The word there is Adam. It's not ha Adam. It's not es ha Adam. It's only the noun Adam in our image, after our likeness. And let them, so we see that it's God's intent to create a plural Adam, have dominion over the fish of the sea and the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. Here we have the proposition to create man. And we know that this is the proposition to create man because Genesis 1.27 begins with a preposition. And that preposition indicates, and that's why the King James Version translates it as so, and the preposition is vab, it's a conjunction. It could have been translated and, but in either in, in either way, it indicates that the creation of man in Genesis 1.27 is the response to the proposition in Genesis 1.26. There are not two creations of man here. There's no actual creation in Genesis 1.26, which is being described. It's only a proposition. The creation, the act, is described in Genesis one twenty-seven. So, meaning well, the word vav, God created man. F ha adam. When the proposition is made, man is indistinct. Man is only Adam. And when the creation act is performed, man is distinct. A particular man is referenced by ha-adam. The S is a proposition which marks the noun and its article, ha-adam, as the object of the verb, the verb being created. It's a grammatical construction. That is all it is. It, it points out that this ha-adam is the object of the verb created. That's all it does. God created man in his own image. Now, many people like to say that a plural, a plurality of God's created man here, and that's simply not true. Wait, a plurality of God's, as in there is more than one, there's 
Yahweh God and then there are other gods? Because the word Elohim is a plural construction. The word Elohim is technically a plural construction. However, in this chapter, in Genesis chapter 1, the word Elohim appears 32 times. And it's always in the same exact form. The forms are indistinguishable from one appearance of the word to the other. 32 times the word Elohim appears in Genesis chapter 1. There is no means by which the Elohim of Genesis 126 and Genesis 127 can possibly be distinguished from the Elohim of Genesis 1-1 because it's the same exact word in the same exact form. There are no articles with it anywhere in the chapter. There are no prepositions prefacing the word anywhere in a the chapter. There are none. It's Elohim every single time, 32 times. It's the same word. You can't tell me that the Elohim in Genesis 1, 26, and 27 is a different entity than the Elohim in Genesis 1, 1, the Elohim in Genesis 1, 2, the Elohim in Genesis 1, 3, the Elohim in Genesis 1, 4, and so on and so forth 32 times. But they do it. They try to claim that. That's the claim they make. It's an arrogant claim because they're picking out Genesis 126 and they are asserting, and, and, and the man who claims to have truth from God is only one of these clowns. He's only one of them. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of them in, in so-called Christian identity, and they are all clowns. They assert that the Elohim in Genesis 126, they assert that it's a different Elohim than the other 5,000 times the word appears in the Bible referring to Yahweh Elohim. Well, that's pretty bold, but how could they assert that this Elohim in Genesis 126 and 127 is a different Elohim than the other 29 times it appears in the rest of the verses in Genesis chapter 1, if it appears three times in these two verses. It's absolutely ludicrous. It's ridiculous. Now, the plural in Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image, you could see that as a plural majesty. You could see that as the divine counsel. You could see that as God talking to the angels. I don't care how you want to see it. I really don't. It's arguable. It's arguable because we're not told anywhere in Scripture why God said, let us make man in our image. And that's fine. But in Genesis 1.27, the response to the proposition of Genesis 1.26, we see, so God made man, or God created man, ha Adam, in his singular, own singular, image singular. In the image of God, he created singular, him. Male and female, he created singular, them. 
The pronouns and the verbs are all singular. A singular God created es adam in Genesis 1.27. This is the testimony which we see all the way through Scripture, that Yahweh Elohim created the heavens and earth and everything in them, that Yahweh Elohim created man. How can we imagine that there's some deep secret with Genesis 1.27 that other people, that other gods, that the family of Elohim, I've heard that one too recently, created man. It doesn't hold water. It doesn't hold water when it's compared with all of Scripture. It doesn't even hold water in the grammar of this one verse. There's a family now? Well, Elohim is a family, and, and he's not entirely wrong about that. However, in the beginning there was God. And everything that's been, that, that exists came through the word of God. So the family didn't exist in the beginning. I was wondering, is it possible the plural, let us, is this a reference to the Holy Spirit? Since, of course, Jesus would have existed in the Spirit before he took on the flesh, and the Holy Spirit, of course, has always existed. Well, technically the spirit of Adam, man, has always existed because it came from God. But how is the spirit created? And we will get into that later in, in, in this presentation. Not Maybe not tonight, but we will get into that. That's a different topic entirely. Tonight my purpose is to demonstrate that there is one man, and that only one man is created in Genesis, even though the account is repeated three times, and there's reasons for that. The conjunction in front of the verb in Genesis 1.27, and, and we see it in front of the word God because of the way the English words are ordered, but it's actually in front of the verb created, and the word God is next in Hebrew. The conjunction in front of the verb demonstrates that the creating of man in that passage is the direct result of the proposition posited in Genesis 1.26. And both the Greek and the English translators understood this because both the Greek the Greek translators, the, the men who translated the Hebrew into the Septuagint, and the English translators treated it the same way. From here we go to Genesis 2.7. Well, Bill, what would the agenda be for someone wanting to make 126 a creation when 126 is just a statement that a creation is coming? Why would they want to do that? Well, the agenda is this. And Thomas Davies, so far as I know, was the first to recognize it. Bertrand Compré and Wesley Swift were, were a little sloppier about it, right? The agenda is this. They're trying to squeeze the other races into the Genesis creation as men. Why do they have to be there at all? Exactly. The other races don't belong there at all, and we'll dem demonstrate that. That the... Adam of Genesis 1.26 could be all the races, all men. And the Esha Adam of Genesis 1.27 is a particular Adam, the patriarch, because the, word, the, the noun form is the same as Genesis 
However, that's really immaterial, and we will see tonight that that's absolutely immaterial. And we'll see it from many later scriptures, not from one, from many. Genesis 2-7. And Yahweh God, because the word Yahweh doesn't appear in scripture until Genesis 2-4, and we'll discuss the reasons for that later. And Yahweh God, Yahweh Elohim, formed man, Eth-Ha-Adam, the same exact form as in Genesis 1.27. The same exact form, the, the word Eth as a prefix to the article and the word for Adam, Eth-Ha-Adam. And Yahweh God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man, now here the Eth is missing. Ha-Adam is only the article and the noun. And man, Ha-Adam, became a living soul. Let's explain why we have Eth-Ha-Adam and Ha-Adam here. Because Eth-Ha-Adam identifies, the Eth is there because it identifies the word for man with its article, meaning a particular man, Ha-Adam, the man, it identifies the word man as the object of the verb formed. That's why we need the S in Hebrew. That's why the S exists. Wherein the clause and man became a living soul, man in that clause isn't really the object, it's the subject because of the way the verb became is used. It's used transitively. Man became a living soul, so we don't need the F. But F ha adam and ha adam, if you want to go by the forms of the words, are one and the same here in Genesis 2 7. F ha adam is not a distinct and different Adam from ha adam. God formed man, and man became a living soul. Or God formed the Adam. And the Adam became a living soul. However you want to see it, it's the same Adam, the same exact forms of the word in Genesis 127. Genesis 2.16. And this is for all those fools who insist that because we have Adam in Genesis 126 and Ha Adam, in Genesis 127, that they have to be two different entities. They can't be the same. The, the, we have Adam here, but we have a special Adam here, Ha Adam. And that's one of their suppositions, and that's a pretty popular supposition. Well, in Genesis 2.16, it says, And Yahweh God commanded the man, and the form of the words for the man there are Al-Ha. Adam, saying, of every tree of the garden, thou mayest eat freely. Are you with me? Yes. If we have Adam in Genesis 126, and Esha Adam in Genesis 127 and Genesis 27, and you insist that there are two different atoms because the form of the word is different. So only one atom that is being told. 
What do you do with Al Ha Adam in Genesis two sixteen? I explained that S the word S in S Ha Adam was a preposition of the accusative case, which is not translated into English. It just marks the noun as the object of the verb. Well, the al in al-ha-adam in Genesis 2.16, that's a preposition of the dative case. It shows direction, accompaniment. In this case, it shows direction. Yahweh commanded the man. So the command is directed to the man, al-ha-adam. It's not a different atom because the form of the preposition changed. That's ridiculous. This is how stupid people are who claim to be Christian identity teachers. They can't understand simple, basic grammar. They look like fools in the face of anybody who actually studied Hebrew, even a Jew. They would look like fools if they brought this, their quack hairbrain theories to anybody who actually studied Hebrew. Es ha-adam is ha-adam with a preposition that indicates the, that ha-adam is being used in the accusative case. Al ha-adam is ha-adam with a preposition showing that, that, that um, it, it's a preposition of the dative case showing direction to. Yahweh commanded the man. His commands went in the direction of the man. It's a it's a simple facet of Hebrew grammar. It's almost embarrassing to have to explain at this level. But it needs to be done because people see Adam and Ha-Adam and Adam, and they imagine to be seeing three different entities when it's all references to the same entity. So in their mind, though, there's one Adam who's being told that he can eat freely from the, the trees of the garden, so then, depending on which Adam actually commits the sin, it might have been the Adam that was warned not to, and it might have been a different Adam. Well, well, right, but in their mind, they're trying to bend the language of Genesis into their agenda. And it doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up, and, and, and they're so... Well, well as certain people who have truth from God like to say, they are so stupid that they don't even know the error that they're creating. They don't even realize it. Well, and I've noticed, too, if you don't have a reasonably solid grasp of English grammar rules, it becomes incredibly difficult to study and learn a foreign language with any amount of you know, proficiency. So somebody who claims to be a Hebrew language scholar but doesn't understand basic English grammar, I would question his scholarship. Well, well right, because the, the, the features of grammar in Indo-European languages don't change from language to language. Now, the, the, the theory of grammar in the Semitic languages is also the same. Some of the features are a little different, and, and a little more different than they are among the Indo-European languages. But if I could classify Hebrew, I would classify it as an Indo-European language. It has all of the features, even though it employs them a little differently, it has all of the features of an Indo-European language. The inflections, 
It has case. The verbs have tense. Right. They, 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 it has everything that every other Indo-European language has. It has a dual, and you know, a lot of fools try to say, see, Hebrew is not related to Indo-European languages because it has a dual, which is a third form of a noun denoting only two of that noun. It's called a dual, right? So instead of us, we just have singular and plural, right? Well, Hebrew has singular, plural, and a dual form of their nouns. Now, I've seen arguments based on that fact alone by which certain so-called scholars try to distinguish Hebrew apart from Indo-European languages. However, what they're ignorant of is this, that Greek also has a dual. It's very rare, but Greek also has a dual form of many of its nouns. So, so I mean, it's, there, there are things in Hebrew that... Um, Hebrew definitely belongs in the Indo-European family of languages. I understand that the Arab languages are just bastardizations of Aramaic and, and, and Hebrew, but Hebrew and Aramaic probably both belong. And, and the North Semitic languages also, Canadian, uh, Akkadian, I'm sorry, that, that, that also probably belongs as a proto-Indo-European language, I'm sure. Right, and for... Um your Wikipedia and all the experts, they claim that Hebrew is an Afro-Asiatic language. There's no basis for that claim. No, there's no basis for Modern Hebrew, but modern Hebrew is a corruption. That, that's, what, that, that's just the way Jews want to classify things to, to, to separate themselves from white people. That they, fight very, that they fight very hard. They fight tooth and nail to distinguish um, their perverted version of, of Hebrew culture from white people. But, but Hebrew is Greek. I mean, the cultures are the same. And, and many, most features of their belief system are exactly the same, except that the Greeks, being Israelites who were cast off, had the pagan perspective. That's what I would expect them to have. Plato read the prophets. There's no doubt. Well schooled in them. Drew drew much of his own philosophy right from the Hebrew prophets. Genesis two nineteen. And out of the ground the Lord God Yahweh Elohim formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air, and brought them unto Adam. Now, I had explained that al was a preposition denoting the dative case, denoting direction, to, or accompaniment, with. Well, here we have Adam spelled el-ha-adam. It's the same preposition with a slight variation in spelling. It's the alef instead of the in. They're both basically equivalent to a kind of letter A, right, in English. The Aleph rather than the Ayin, and the second letter is the, the Lamed. The Lamed is the, the Greek, the, the Hebrew L, I'm sorry, it's the Greek Lambda. So it's E L Ha Adam. El Aha Adam. Not to be confused with the word L that means God or judge. Now, this preposition doesn't tell us that this is a different Adam than the Genesis 2.16 Adam, or that this is a different Adam than the Genesis 1.27 Adam, or the 2.7 Adam. It's another preposition. 
It's a grammatical construction. Just like es ha adam is a grammatical construction, el ha adam is a grammatical construction. It's ha adam, the atom, with a preposition in front of it. That's all es ha adam is. Here we have Yahweh God bringing every beast and every fowl of the creation unto Adam, and Adam is El-Ha-Adam, to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature. Now here in this clause, we only have Ha-Adam. Why? Because Adam's the subject of the verb, called. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam, Ha-Adam, gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, here we go, Vav Lamed Adam. But Vav, it could have been and for Adam. Lamed is another preposition. It means for, F-O-R. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. Now, the clowns that want to distinguish the Genesis 126 Adam is a different Adam from the Genesis 127 Adam simply because of the preposition or the preposition in the article. By that rule, which they created, we would have five or six different Adams by now. When really, we're just dealing with the dative case, and I guess soon we might get into the genitive case, and every time there's a different case, they want to make it a different Adam. Well, well, they would have to. If you're going to make S Ha Adam a different Adam from Adam or from Ha Adam, you have to make Al Ha Adam a different Adam. So there's um, there's Ed Adam a different Adam. You have to, otherwise, you're, you're violating your own principles. So we're at five right now: S Ha Ha Al Ha and Vav Lamed, and then just Adam. Right. We got at least five Adams by now. And this is coming from people who don't understand English, and they don't realize that in some Indo-European languages, a lot of the Slavic languages, the person's name changes depending on how their name is used in a sentence. If you say, I'm going to the store with name, or take this to name, or name is coming, or that dog is names. You know, the, the, the person's name actually changes depending on the structure of the sentence. Where in English, we, we don't have, you know, you, you, you're always Bill. Send the email to Bill. This is Bill's program. Bill is coming to the store. You remain Bill. Absolutely. And Adam should remain Adam. Right, but people who, if they were any kind of language scholar, or even if they understood basic English grammar and realized that not all languages are identical to English, they'd realize that F ha adam and ha adam, it's not two separate atoms. Absolutely. Simple, simple, a, a very simple understanding of, of grammar would lead one to conclude that it can't be two separate atoms. And, and Genesis 5.1 really demolishes the assertions of all these clowns. The clown that claims he has truth from God, the clown that claims that, 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 um, that, that the Genesis 1.26 atom, because it doesn't have the S or the Ha to accompany it, that refers to Neanderthal man or Cro-Magnon man. That, that guy's a real clown, okay? 
the, the clown that claims he has truth from God, he couldn't deal with Genesis 5.1. Genesis 5.1, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And it doesn't say Ha-Adam. It doesn't say Es Ha-Adam. It just says Adam, just like Genesis 1.26. No different. It's just Adam. No S, no Ha. No article, no preposition. This is the book of the generations of Adam. And the day that God, Elohim, created Adam, created man in English, created Adam in Hebrew, same thing. Genesis 1.26, no S, no Ha. And how is this not referring in Genesis 5.1 to the Adam of Genesis 2.7 and Genesis 1.27? Because Genesis 5.3 says, and Adam, no F, no ha, and Adam, just like Genesis 1.26. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and called his name Seth. It's the Genesis 1.26 Adam? Or is this a third creation or a fifth creation or an eighth creation of Adam? This is the book of the generations of Adam. Well, we've already established there could be as many as five or six Adams. So which Adam? Who, whose generations? <laughs> well, that's right. That's the point is that this is the same Adam as Genesis 126, grammatically. So it must be the Genesis 126 Adam. But it's clearly, historically, in, in the linear narrative of Genesis, it's clearly the Genesis 2-7 Adam. So he had a name change, or he's the same Adam. And there's other reasons why we have ha and esha in front of the word Adam. And of course, those other reasons are grammatical. Very simple. The article to refer to a particular Adam. The preposition to mark ha-adam as the object of a verb. Real simple grammatical reasons why these little particle words exist before nouns in Hebrew or Greek or English. Except that we don't have as many in English. Genesis 6-7. And Yahweh said, I will destroy man, Ha Adam whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man, that word is only Adam. It doesn't say Adam, but it's a clear reference to the man that he just said he would destroy, which was Adam. These people had tried to make two Adams out of Genesis 1, 26 and 27. These people had tried to make two Adams out of Genesis 1 and 2. These people are just clowns trying to twist the language into an agenda. Here in Genesis 6-7, we have Yahweh saying he will destroy man, Adam, who he has created from the face of the earth. Both man, and that word is just Adam, it's just Adam, and beast, and the creeping thing in the fowls of the air. For it repents me that I have made them. Then we get to Genesis 7-21, and all flesh died then, that this real it, 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 this gets better as it goes along. Genesis seven twenty one and all flesh died that moved upon the earth. 
both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every ha-adam. Now, in Genesis 6-7, God said he was going to destroy all the Adams and he was going to destroy the Eth-ha-adam. But in Genesis 7-21, ha-adam died. Did he die unfairly? <laughs> so God, God meant to kill Eth-ha-adam, and instead he, he got confused. There were so many Adams, he killed the wrong one. Right. Right. You see how childish all this is to distinguish these Adams and try to say that they're different? When they're clearly all grammatical references to the same man, Adam. Okay. Whosoever, Genesis 9, 6, sheddeth man's blood, that's ha-adam, by man shall his blood be shed, for the image of God he made man, and that's eth-ha-adam. So if you kill a ha-adam, God's going to get mad at you for Esha Adam. Well, you wait, if, if, Adam, if, you kill ha, well, what the hell's going on here? Well, well, These people if, are idiots. If you kill Ha Adam by um, which Adam, which Adam has to shed your blood? Is it Ha Adam, Esha Adam, or Vav Lamed Adam? Right. And what we have here in reality, and I'll, I'll explain it again in Genesis nine six, is that whoso sheddeth man's blood. Well, man is the subject of the clause. So we don't need a preposition marking the accusative case because man is not the object of the verb. Actually, blood is the object of the verb, right? The blood is the object of the verb shed, right? Man is not. Man's the subject of the clause. So that's just ha-adam. But where we have the last clause, for in the image of God made he, oh, and that's, that, that's a singular pronoun, made he man, well, now we have man as the object of the verb made, so we need the little s, s ha adam, to mark man as the object of the verb. But we don't translate that in English, right? Because the English language doesn't really require it as a grammatical device. We understand the subject or, or the object. The image of God made he man, Adam. That's the only reason why the yes is there, to mark it as the object of a verb, period. It doesn't mean that it's a different atom. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous in the light of the rest of the Hebrew language and all of these references to Adam, that Adam. It's a different Adam than Adam. It's absolutely childish. And, and these conclusions, the, these people drew just by looking at a Strong's Concordance and not knowing a damn thing about the Hebrew language or about any language, or as you pointed out, even about the English language. It's childish. These clowns are children playing men's games. Genesis 11.5, and Yahweh came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. Now that grammatical construction where it says man, that's really a singular ha-adam. It's not even plural, it's singular, ha-adam. The children of the Adam. 
Deuteronomy 4.32. Would you like to read Deuteronomy 4.32? All right. For ask now of the days that are part, which were before thee, since the day that God created man, Adam, upon the earth, and ask from the one side of heaven unto the other, whether there hath been any such thing as this great thing is, or hath been heard like it. In other words, there was only one creation. There hasn't been any like it. Well, well, right. So there, there certainly haven't been six creations of Adam. There was one. And here the word is Adam. It's not Es-Ha-Adam in Deuteronomy 4.32. It's not Ha-Adam. It's simply Adam. Well, you know, one of the clowns, though, out there, they might seize on this question, take it literally, and say, well, it's saying ask. And if you ask, I'll give you the answer. The answer is yes. There have been multiple creations just like it. The answer is yes. Right. That would, that would take a lot of sophistry and some gall. But if you believe you have a red line to God, you might think that. Well, well, it seems to me that in spite of the simple rules of Hebrew grammar, here we have Adam. We don't have Esha Adam, which we might expect to see in this instance. But Adam is not preceded in the Hebrew. Now, now I, I use Bible works for the Hebrew, right? And Bible works, the advantage that it has, and I can't really read the Hebrew, but I can spot, I can pick out the letters that I know, and, and, and I could spot the words that I'm familiar with, and, and I could sound out letters if I need to, because I do know the Hebrew alphabet for the most part. Well, well, I'm not saying I know it perfectly. I actually hate the Jew stuff. I can't stand it. But, but that's besides the point. The, the, um, the rules of grammar here seem almost to be violated in Deuteronomy 4.32 because Adam is the object of the, of the verb created here. And it doesn't say Esha Adam, it only says Adam. And I use Bible works for my Hebrew because it gives me several Hebrew manuscripts and I compared them all before preparing the notes for tonight's program. So I don't care what Hebrew manuscript you want to look in, you're going to find the words in the forms that I've given them here in tonight. And if you have a different Hebrew manuscript and you want to contend with what I say tonight, that's fine, but you better produce your witness. You better tell me what manuscript and, and where I can get it from or you better make some scans of the pages for me. Well, I had a dream last night, and God told me everything I need to know, so I'm right, you're wrong. Deal with it. Exactly. That, that's the attitude of a lot of these clowns. That's their exact arrogant attitude. I, I'm willing to discuss any of this. You better show me the books that you're getting it from. If you're not getting it out of books, if you're pulling it out of thin air and claiming God gave it to you, you're just a turkey. You're, you're just a clown. I'm not drinking your Kool-Aid. You, you, you should be um, right up there with Jim Jones. You should probably go to South America, get yourself a Jew lawyer like Mark Lane, and, and, and feed everybody you know some Kool-Aid, because that's what you're doing. That, that's what that turkey that says he has truth from God, he's really dishing out Kool-Aid. Deuteronomy, well, let's read Deuteronomy 4.32 again, because I like the, the, the way you describe that. 
For ask now of the days past, which were before thee, since the day, the day, singular day, one day, one day that God created man, right? Since the day that God created Adam upon the earth, the same form of the word we see in Genesis 1.26 and Genesis 5.1. And ask from one side of heaven unto the other whether there has been any such thing as this great thing is or has been heard like it. That verse alone demonstrates, as you pointed out, that there, were, there could only be one creation of Adam seen as being a, a great and wonderful thing here, right? Right. It's not just some common thing that, oh, creation of Adam. Well, we had one of those last week. This one's no big deal. The um, Isaiah 45, no, Deuteronomy 32 eight. When the Most High divided to the nations their inheritance, when he separated the sons of Adam. Now, it's very clear in Scripture, if you read Genesis chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, that the nations of Genesis chapter 10, which are referenced here, the sons of Adam, which are listed, as the descendants of Noah, they descended from that Genesis 2 Adam. And he is Etha Adam. But here it doesn't say Etha Adam. Here it just says Adam. Same word, different grammatical form. It's the same Adam. He set the bounds of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 12. Now here we go. The clown that thinks he has truth from God claims that a plural Elohim created the man Adam in Genesis 1.26. Isaiah 45.12. Wait, so it's a plural God? So does God have a split personality, multiple personality? What, what's going on here? Well, well, right. He's trying to say that the Elo Elohim created themselves, right? That we're the children of God. We created ourselves in Genesis 1.26. That, that's his end game, right? We created ourselves? That sounds... That's heretical. Well, it's absolutely heretical. Well, how, how does something come from nothing? Ex nihilo nihil fit. Nothing comes from nothing, right? In Isaiah 45, 12, it's Yahweh speaking. So I'll begin, I'll back up a little, I'll go to Isaiah 45, 11 and read it from there since we, so, so that we get it in context, right? Thus saith Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel, and his Maker, ask me of things to come concerning my sons, and concerning the work of my hands, command ye me. I have made the earth. A reference to the first five days of creation, perhaps. And created man upon it. I, even I, have stretched out the heavens and all their hosts have I commanded. Man, in Isaiah 45.12, is not Eth-ha-ha. 
ha-adam, as it appears in Genesis 1.27. It's not ha-adam, it's simply Adam, as it appears in Genesis 1.26. Yahweh Elohim, the singular God, with the plural name, he is taking credit for that creation in Isaiah 45.12. Can we back up to verse 5? Just momentarily. Be my guest. Read it. I am Yahweh, and there is none else. There is no God besides me. I geared at thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am Yahweh, and there is none else. He's well, not well, saying, hey, there's 11 of us up here, and, you know, we <laughs> all made you. <laughs> That's Bible 101, right? And then, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, Yahweh, do all these things. Drop down, ye heavens, from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open and let them bring forth salvation, and let righteousness spring up together. I, Yahweh, have created it. Woe unto him that striveth with his maker. Let the pot strive with the pot of the earth. Shall the clay say to him that fashioned it, What makest thou? Or thy work, he hath no hands. And Paul quoted this basically, didn't he? Does not the potter have power over the clay? Shall the thing made say that a thing that formed him? Why has you made? Why have thou made me thus? Right. He quoted it in Romans chapter nine. Woe unto him that saith unto his father, What begettest thou? Or to the woman, what hast thou brought forth? Well, well, you know, the the Ten Commandments say, I am Yahweh thy God. Thou shalt place no other gods before me. And technically, if you're claiming that a different god created something in Genesis 1, where Yahweh appears in Genesis 2, you're placing other gods before Yahweh. There's no doubt. You're violating that first commandment. Right, and some of those people, they'll say, oh, since God says you'll have no other gods before me, you know, I've heard people claim that you can have other gods after him or that there must be other gods since he's warning us about them. That's all just sophistry. The gods of the nations are nothing, right? Uh, I mean, that, that, there's, that there's a greater spiritual purpose to the creation of Adam that we could explain another day, but it's in our future. It's not in our past. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. This is the genealogy of the patriarchs. I'm only going to read the first four verses. It doesn't elaborate. It just names names. But it's a genealogy that's very clear. Adam, Sheth, Enosh, Canaan, Mahaliel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Adam, the word is not Adam which we see in Genesis 1.27 and Genesis 2.7. The word is not ha-adam, which we see sometimes referring to the Adam later in Scripture. The word is simply Adam. No ha, no f. Adam, just like Genesis 1.26. Isaiah 45.12 Yahweh speaking, I have made the earth and created man upon it. 
It's not Eth Ha'adam. It's not Ha'adam. It's Adam. Just like Genesis 1.26. Looking at all of these scriptures, you can see six or seven different atoms, or you can see one atom. There's no way you can see two. There's no way you can see three. There was one atom, and that's the truth. And the variations in the use of the words are for reasons of Hebrew grammar and have nothing to do with the nature of the noun, Adam. Nothing at all. And, and it's absolutely absurd to insist otherwise. It's beyond absurd. It's just, I, I, I don't have the, the, the superlative adjective sufficient enough to explain how idiotic it is. I don't have it. Maybe that'll do it. There are some clowns, the, the clown that thinks that um, the Genesis one twenty six Adam was Cro-Magnon man and, and, and he's built his ministry on, on, on the promotion and, and defense of bastards, basically, these last two years. Who, oh, wait, wait, if Genesis one twenty six is Cro-Magnon man, so God made Cro-Magnon man in his image, and then whose image are we made? And then what happened... If God made them in his image, why are they gone now? All right, that's something they missed, because in Genesis chapter 5, the word is only Adam, right? It's the same and Adam from 126. Right, the same exact form of the word. And Seth is in Adam's image. And right. in Genesis 126, Adam is in the image of Elohim. Right, so... Uh, Genesis two seven S Ha Adam the one that we what we um, can, can substantiate that Cain and Abel and and well well not Cain I'm sorry but that Abel and Seth and and, and Seth's descendants descended from that Genesis two seven Adam there's nothing about God's image there right right so God from the dust of the ground and put His spirit in him so you could have Adam's image uh, I'm sorry I'm screwing up again you could have God's image and be an, an atom, one atom, or you could have God's spirit and be another atom. Right, Where, but if, <laughs> what atom has God's spirit and God's image? None. Right, uh, but I mean, if, if Genesis one twenty six, if that atom is Cro-Magnum, then Genesis 5 should say this is the book of the generations of the Cro-Magnum people. Absolutely. But it doesn't. It's the word atom, and it's the same simple construction, the simple noun used in Genesis one twenty six, And it's the same simple noun used in... Isaiah forty five twelve, and it's the same simple noun used in one Chronicles one one. It's all the same Adam. It's the same simple noun used in Deuteronomy thirty two eight, which definitely refers to that Genesis two Adam's descendants. It, it's absurd to try to make a distinction between the different grammatical forms of the word Adam in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. It's absurd. It's absolutely ridiculous. If you do it, you're an idiot. Well, maybe not an idiot. Maybe someone who knows what they're doing and they have an agenda. Well, we're not, right. That's the only other right, alternative. So we, we, assume people are just, we assume people are ignorant and misinformed and they're just being foolish, but maybe they know exactly what they're doing and they're doing it on purpose. That's the only other alternative. Right, so they're either an idiot or they're malicious. 
There's an argument put forth by certain clowns that the man who was created in Genesis chapter 1 must be different than the man that was formed in Genesis chapter 2. Well, why? Of, is forming a man different from creating a man? Uh, of course, the Adam of Genesis chapter 5 was also created. So, so the Genesis 5 Adam was created and the Genesis 1 Adam was created, but the Genesis 2 Adam was formed, right? So, so he's different, right? If I'm writing an account of George Washington forming the Continental Army, and I write in one, one paragraph, George Washington set about building an army, and in another paragraph I write, George Washington set about forming an army. Oh, he must have had two armies. He built one and he formed one. Yes, it has to be. It has to be that way. So there, there were two Continental Armies, the one he built and the one he formed. According to certain um, people, in the, 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 the leaders of the Jewish quarter of Christian identity, it has to be that way. It had to be two different armies because one, one was formed. Two different words to describe the same incident. Well, well, the same hypocrites who claim to be Israelites thereby claim to have descent from the Adam of Genesis 5, because that's where Israel descended from. And if their argument is true, how could they have the Spirit of God imparted to the Adam of Genesis 2? Because the Adam of Genesis 5 was created, he must be related to the Adam of Genesis 1.26 because he was created, and because the form of the word is only Adam. The Adam in Genesis 2 was formed, and the form of the word is Eth-ha-adam. So, so that's the second reason they give why it should be a different Adam. But then they can't have the spirit, which God imparted to the Adam of Genesis 2, if they descended from the Adam of Genesis 1, who's the Adam of Genesis 5, because they're both created. Well, whenever they need the atom to morph into something different to suit their needs, I'm sure that the F-ha drops off and it just becomes atom. Well, well, like Clifton likes to say, they twist scripture like pretzels in order to support their agenda, which they have at the time, and then they sell it like snake oil. It's sick. It, it's just sick. It's so stupid. It, it's so childishly ridiculous. It, it's just sick. Well, their basic methodology is unsound. Instead of searching objectively for truth, they pick a conclusion, and then they try and jam the Scripture into fitting that conclusion. They already know where they want to arrive. That's dishonest. Well, well Job in 33.6 says that, I also am formed out of the clay. So he can't be the created Adam of Genesis 1 or Genesis 5 because he, was, he, he admitted that he was formed, right? So who is Job then? Is he from <laughs> Ha? Is he from Ha? Or is he some interloper? Or what, what's he doing here? Is he from Et Ha Adam, Adam Ha Adam, or Al Ha Adam? <laughs> He's from Clay, Ad, Clay Adam. The... the um, Deuteronomy 32.8, of the rock, speaking to the children of Israel, of the rock that begot thee. So, so they were begotten, right? That they weren't created or formed, maybe, but hold it. Thou art unmindful and has forgotten God that formed thee. So these now, are the people who were begotten formed. They were begotten formed, but they were descended from Seth, and Seth was created. Or were they descended from F. Ha Adam? Did they skip over Seth? There must be two Seths. Yeah, there must be two Seths, maybe. I guess that's the only valid conclusion. There must be two Seths. We'll have to search the scripture for another Seth. 
Well, if there are six atoms, there can easily be two sets, right? I mean, it's a common name back then. It probably got used by multiple atoms. I guess you're right. Well, we should both just um, rethink this whole thing. We've got to have right. 18 atoms, 24 sets, and, and then maybe we could make sense of all this, and, and then maybe we could fit some niggers into Genesis. I guess. Well, that, that, it's all making sense now. There were so many atoms. One of them went off and did some bad stuff, and that's where um, Cain got his wife from, that line, the bad atom line. <laughs> There's a bad apple in every bunch. Isaiah chapter 43. No, I'll go with Isaiah chapter 45, verse 18. For thus saith Yahweh that created the heavens, God himself that formed the earth and made it. He has established it. He created it not in vain. He formed it to be inhabited. I am Yahweh and there is none else. So we have an earth and a heavens that were created and we have an earth and a heavens that were formed, right? We have two universes, I guess. We're gonna, that's an important note because we're going to talk about that again later. Well, it's somewhat tangential to what we're talking about now, but verse 17 says, But Israel shall be saved in Yahweh with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. So some people want to say that the line of Adam, a large part of it's going to the lake of fire, but it says here, Israel shall be saved. It doesn't just say a few people from Israel. Right, all the seed of Israel shall be saved. And, and they right. pervert that language to mean right. something it doesn't. So if I just said, oh, what that means, oh, a couple thousand from this tribe, a couple hundred from that tribe, and every tribe will be represented, but 99.99% of them go to the lake of fire. That's sophistry. Well, well, right, it is sophistry because Isaiah 45 says that all the seed of Israel shall be saved and shall glory. All the seed, that means every single offspring. All the seed. Right. All so the seed. If, if you make a deal with someone, you know, um, leave my grandchildren alone, you know, um, they're extorting you, and they say, okay, well, I'm leaving your grandchildren from this son alone, but I'm going to hurt your grandchildren from this daughter. Well, that's not part of the deal. Absolutely. It's sophistry to say, oh, well, every tribe is represented, even though the lion's share of the tribe is destroyed. Isaiah 43, one. But now, thus saith Yahweh that created thee, O Jacob. So did he descend from the Genesis 1 Adam that was created or the Genesis 5 Adam that was created? Well, how about the one that was begat and then formed? And then it says, and he that formed thee, O Israel. So do we have a Jacob that was created and an Israel that was formed? And they're different entities, I guess. There must be two Israels. There, there must be six Adams, two Seths, and at least two Israels. Well, there's, there's um, real Israel that was created, real Israel that was formed, and then there's false Israel, the synagogue of Satan. Okay, what about um, Isaiah 43, 7? Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yeah, I have made him. What the hell? Are we created? Are we formed? Are we made? I don't see an Adam in Genesis that was made. I see an Adam in Genesis that was created, and I see an Adam in Genesis that was formed. This is all ridiculous, and it's ridiculous on purpose because it's what the Scripture says. And when you interpret Genesis chapter 1 
and Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 5 to be all different creations of Adam, you, that has to follow suit in the rest of Scripture, and all you get is, conclu- is, is confusion. That's all you end up with. Right, is but confusion. God is not the author of confusion. God's not the author of confusion. His word is very precise. It's up to man to interpret it honestly. And then it's very understandable. Once we interpret the word of God with an open heart, it's very understandable. Right, but if your goal is to squeeze bastards into the kingdom and wipe out 99.9% of white people, you would twist the Bible in this fashion. Exactly. Exactly. You're basically a universalist that, that hates the sheep because those who gather to Christ, anything but sheep, actually scatter the sheep. They're scatterers and not gathering. He not, he not gathering with me scatters, is what Christ said. If you're trying to gather aliens to the sheepfold, you're not gathering with Christ because Christ said he would only gather Israel. He that is if, not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. Right. Who created Adam? Well, we're told. I want to talk about this, but right, we are told. Yahweh Elohim created Adam. Of course he did, because there's only one Adam. Right. Although the Hebrew word is Elohim, and it is, it is technically in Hebrew a plural word in its grammatical form. There's no doubt. We still see that all of the pronouns and verbs referring to the creator of Genesis chapter 1 are singular in form. Now, aside from this, there are some, some who believe they have exclusive truth from God, who insist that the Elohim of Genesis 1.26 are a plural group, while thousands of times elsewhere the word plural in form refers to a singular entity, Yahweh. The singular form of the word Elohim, which is simply El, does not appear in Genesis until chapter 14. And in chapter 14, Yahweh is referred to as the Most High God. That word is El, three times in Genesis 14, right? The Most High El. Well, Every occurrence. Well, right there, the, the, um, the marijuana corridor of identity linked to the Jewish corridor, they could say, oh, well, it's okay to get high because God is the Most High. Right. <laughs> the, the hippie quarter of Christian identity, right? We have that too. Every occurrence of the Hebrew word for God in the entire Genesis creation account is in the plural form, Elohim. And it is always in the same plural form. It's never accompanied by a preposition. It's never prefixed by F. It's never prefixed by an article. The clowns who try to make different atoms because the grammatical forms are, are different insist that there are different Elohims, even though the grammatical forms are the same. That's kind of hypocritical. And and therefore, they are hypocrites by their own reasonings. And, And of course, they pretend to have truth from God. The word Elohim for God appears 32 times in Genesis chapter 1. It appears three additional times in the first few verses of Genesis 2, all in the exact same form before the phrase Yahweh Elohim finally appears in Genesis 2.4. And we're going to explain why Yahweh Elohim does not appear until Genesis 2.4. 
There are clowns who would agree that Yahweh Elohim made the heavens and the earth, and then they claim that some other Elohim made man in Genesis 1.26. That's an absolutely absurd idea that has no support anywhere in Scripture. There's no second witness for that idea anywhere in Scripture. Well, what if the second witness is God talks to you when you go off your meds? Right. Maybe you should get back on your meds. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody, but maybe it may, maybe in some cases it, it, it is a necessity. Right, but there's, there's no way to debate those individuals. We can't invite them on the show. We can't sit down for a discussion. We can't sit down for a talk. They think they're the Pope. The well, well, they think they're the Pope. They think that they're never wrong because they get everything straight from God. He gives it to them so they can't be wrong. Even when you show them their errors... The, the simplest mistakes right in front of their faces, right from their own book. Well, how do they, they know they're not delusional? God said, I will send them well, strong. Didn't God say, I will send them strong delusions that they believe a lie? Right. Yahweh God himself is the only Elohim ever credited with creating any man or anything else at all throughout later scripture. Now, now others can only propagate or corrupt his creation. That's the choice that men make to propagate Yahweh's creation, as we were commanded in Genesis 1, or to corrupt his creation, which is rebellion from God. But we can't create anything without God. There is no second witness to the harebrained idea that any Elohim other than Yahweh Elohim created any race of man in Genesis. I've explained that Genesis 1.26 is a proposition for the creation of man. And the nouns are plural. And it can, be, it can be interpreted in one of several ways. It could be the divine counsel. It could be God and the angels. It, it doesn't really matter how you want to see it. What matters is that Genesis 1.27 describes the execution of that proposition. And the pronouns are singular. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The pronouns and the verbs are all singular. The pronoun being singular cannot refer to a, a collective entity in the masculine. Genesis 1, Genesis 2.4. Here we go. Let's read Genesis 2.4. You want to read Genesis 2.4? All right. Genesis 2.4. These are the generations of the heavens. There must be multiple heavens then, Bill, right? I mean, it's not just... Well, well exactly. If you want to believe that the Genesis 2 man is a different man from the Genesis 1 man, then the Genesis 2 heavens have to be a different heavens than the Genesis 1 heavens. I guess the Mormons are right then. There's a lot of gods, there's a lot of heavens, and maybe we can become gods in our own world. And it has to be a different earth. And all the plants have to be different plants. It's ridiculous. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created. In the day that Yahweh God made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For Yahweh God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground, and Yahweh God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. 
And Yahweh God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now will you please read Genesis 5.1? This is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, in the likeness of God made he him, in the likeness of God made he him. So now... That Adam, as we have seen, is the same word Adam as Genesis one twenty six, And a singular God created this Adam in all the language of Genesis 5.1. In Genesis 6.7, it says, And Yahweh said, Yahweh said, not Elohim said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Both man, and that word is just Adam, just like the Genesis one twenty six Adam. Well, wait, and, why, doesn't he, why, why doesn't he say, I will destroy man whom you have created, referring to one of the other gods who made man? Or who we, or who us have created, or, or, or whatever. Or I will destroy man who they have created. Right, because he's talking about Adam. Or I will destroy man who has created himself. This is the book of the generations of Adam and the day that God created man. Well, God already already created man in, in Genesis 2, and God already created man in Genesis 1. And well, well, God rested after he created Genesis 1 man, and then he created Genesis... I mean, this is the ridiculous argument. And then he created Genesis 2 man, and now on another day, he created another man in Genesis 5. So he's it's pretty absurd. busy then. It's absurd, it's absurd, it's absurd, because... In Genesis 6-7, Yahweh said, I will destroy man whom I have created. That, that's Eth-ha-adam, and, and then it says both man and beast, and that's just Adam. So, so that's a, that, that is a reference to all those Adams in Genesis 1 and 2 and 5. Or we have six different Adams. Isaiah 45.11, Yahweh Elohim, the singular God, created man. I have made the earth and created man upon it, and that word is Adam. The same construction that we see in Genesis 5.1 and Genesis 1.26. Now, this clown that claims he has truth from God, he's going to say that Elohim created men in Genesis 1.26. And that Adam's different than the Adam in Genesis 1.27, which is Eth-ha-adam. That's his contention. And he's a clown. He's a clown. Isaiah 45.11 turns him into a clown because that word is only Adam without the F and the Ha. And Yahweh God says that he created the, he made the earth and created man upon it. He didn't form this man. He created this man. This is the created Adam of Genesis one twenty six, it's not the formed Adam of Genesis two seven. So, so their their, their own their, their own um, interpretations of Hebrew grammar, which are all wrong, make them into idiots. Right, but now you admit God is not speaking to you. So, how can we trust you over those people who claim God is speaking to them? Because I could read, and you can read too once this is pointed out to you. It's easy. It's easy to read. 
it, it's hard to get God to talk to you directly to to get the phone, the, the the red bat phone, I guess. But but it's easy to read, and we're told that it's Scripture that we're to get our knowledge from. We're told that throughout the New Testament. So. Back in the days of Moses, if a man styled himself a prophet and came on to the, um, the Israelites and declared that he had a vision from Yahweh God and they were supposed to intermarry with the Canaanites, would they accept that man as a prophet or would they stone him to death? Well, well about 20% of them, just like today, would accept him as a prophet and, and, give him, and, and go listen to his talk show program. And the rest of them, I would hope, would stone them to death. That's the way it is. Right, so that's the measure of whether someone is a valid teacher of the Scripture. The Scripture is the measure. If they're contradicting the Scripture and they have some cockamamie theory that they have special knowledge that they've gained through secret studies of apocryphal texts that no one else has access to or God directly told them, so these verses no longer apply because God said so, and he, he only told them. Well, we're not to put any stock in that. Let's talk about why that word Elohim in Hebrew is the plural. And to do that, I'm going to quote from an apparently Irish scholar. I mean, even his picture is on his website, right? So I don't have to turn to a Jew in order to tell me why why Elohim is plural. Really, I don't have to turn to anybody, because I'm not bragging, but I've read pretty large books of inscriptions from all the Semitic languages of the Near East, Akkadian, Canaanite, Hittite, Aramaic, Sumerian, which is a precursor to them all, and, and, and Hebrew, and the plural of majesty is a Hebrew and, and basically a Semitic. It, it's all the languages. It's in Akkadian. It's in Sumerian. It's in the Canaanite, the, the proto-Canaanite language in, in some of their inscriptions. The plural of majesty even appears in a couple of Egyptian inscriptions, which was probably an idea borrowed from the Canaanites or the Hebrews. The plural of majesty is a grammatical construction where a singular object is referred to with a plural noun in order to intensify the stature and importance by which that object is perceived. Now, now that's my own words. Now we're going to hear it from a gentleman named Daniel O. McClellan. And this is from Daniel O. McClellan, M.C. C-L-E-L-L-A-N dot wordpress dot com. And the article is entitled, Why is Elohim Plural? And everything that he says in this article, I can attest to because I have also read these inscriptions. And he says, Elohim is morphologically plural, but as everyone knows, it's frequently used in reference to singular subjects primarily the God of Israel. The Bible is not the only place this happens, though. The Akkadian word for gods, Elanu, frequently occurred in reference to singular subjects in the Amarna letters, almost always in correspondences written by Syro-Palestinians to Egyptians. In Akkadian texts from Ugarit and at 
Tanakh and Katna, the Phoenician equivalent, LM, the Phoenician is used the exact same way. This usage, and, and he misidentifies Canaanite as Phoenician, which is what all mainstream scholars do, and that's besides the point. The usage predates the appearance of this phenomenon in biblical Hebrew, and there's no doubt at the root of it, the distribution of this kind of usage moves from the coasts to the valleys and then to the highlands. We know from patterns and languages in which this phenomenon occurs that it most likely derives from the abstract plural. This is the expression of an abstraction through the plural form of the noun or adjective. We see this in Hebrew with the word abat, which means fatherhood, the plural of ab, which is father, and zekunim, which means old age, the plural of zaken, which means old, among many others. Some of these terms were used in reference to an individual entity or object that exemplified the quality of the, of the abstraction. For instance, in Daniel 9.23, Gabriel tells Daniel that he is a hamudat, which is an abstract plural, which means desirableness or preciousness. In this instance, the abstract should be concretized in reference to Daniel. He is not desirableness, but one who exemplifies that quality. He is highly esteemed. Joel Burnett suggests concretized abstract plural as a designation for this usage. The word Elohim still retains its other uses, in other words, as the simple plural, but can be used to refer to a singular object. Elohim, then, means divinity or deity. The God of Israel exemplifies divinity, so he is called Elohim in the plural, even though he is a singular God. Now, that's a, a relatively new spin on the plural of majesty, but it's really just an extension of the idea that the older archaeologists, linguists, and anthropologists had, where it's simply a plural word applied to a singular entity in order to elevate and, and stress the quality of that word that that entity possesses. Yahweh Elohim. Yahweh gods. But it doesn't mean Yahweh gods. It means that Yahweh is the deity. He is the most high God, as he explains himself. That's why we see Elohim in the plural, when it's really being used of a singular God. There's a reason why we have different creation accounts in the book of Genesis. The reason is this. It wasn't written as one book. It was never written as one book. It was written as a collection of scrolls. The first scroll is the creation account. It 
starts at Genesis 1-1. It ends at Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. That book is really Genesis. The second book starts to retell the creation of the heavens and earth for one simple reason. Because the second book has a different purpose. It starts at Genesis 2-4. It's the story of the creation of Adam as an individual, apart from the, crea- the overall creation account, which begins in Genesis chapter 1, which is a creation, which is an account of the overall creation of God, ending with Genesis 2-3 and God's day of rest, after he created all his works, Adamic man being the pinnacle of that creation. Genesis 2-4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. This is a new scroll. This is a separate scroll from that scroll that ended with God's resting from all his work in Genesis 2-3. Well, Bill, why does God need the rest, though, if there are multiple gods? You know, one of them does the, the work on day one, day two. It's just a team effort. Now, Genesis 2-4 begins a new scroll, and it retells, it recapitulates. And yes, the Bible recapitulates itself very often, but this is a different scroll telling us the creation story from a different perspective. This scroll is telling us about the creation story and focusing on the creation of man and his early history. And this scroll ends at the end of Genesis chapter 4. And Genesis chapter 5, the first verse of that chapter, that clearly begins a new scroll. That word for book in Genesis is not the word for book in Hebrew. That's the word for scroll in Hebrew. This is the scroll of the generations of Adam in the day that God created man. We have three stories here in these early chapters of Genesis told from three different perspectives. We have the creation account. We have an account of the creation of man in more detail. And then we have an account of the generations of man, of the generations of Adam, Adam and all his descendants. And that's clearly a separate book beginning with Genesis 5.1. That was a third scroll. These are three of the scrolls of Genesis. There are probably other divisions that can be identified with certainty where the book of Genesis that we know, the book that we know is the book of Genesis, was actually at one time a collection of scrolls. Because the ancient Hebrews, they didn't have books as we know them. They wrote out these accounts, all these Bible stories were written out on scrolls. And later on, as men developed better writing technology, They created vellum manuscripts, which were made from animal skins. They cut them into uniformity. They took the time to peel and make them them thin so that they could be handled easily. They cut them into uniformity, and they bound them at one end and called them books. But Moses wasn't dealing with books. He was dealing with scrolls. We have three scrolls 
the third one beginning with Genesis chapter 5. There's probably a fourth scroll for Genesis chapter 10 and 11, and a fifth scroll beginning with Genesis chapter 12. I'm guessing that. However, it's evident because that was the extent of their writing technology, without a doubt. But Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis 2-3, that's one scroll. That tells one story. That's the overall creation account. The proof is that there was not a second creation of the heavens and the earth, but the scroll, which begins in Genesis 2-4, begins with a, another account of the creation of the same heavens and earth created in Genesis chapter 1. And therefore, the man whose story, where the story of his creation is in much more detail, is the same man that was created in Genesis chapter 1. So we have a second Genesis story in Genesis chapter, from Genesis chapter 2, 4 through the end of Genesis chapter 4. It tells the story of Adam and Eve, the fall of Adam, and the death of Abel, and the descendants of Cain, who were separate from Adam. Scroll number three in Genesis begins with Genesis 5, 1. This is the scroll of the generations of Adam. In the day that God created man, this is not a third creation of Adamic man. It's the third time that part of the story was being told. And each part extends the story further than the scroll which preceded it. It's real simple. These are all different scrolls. It's not three creations of man. It's not two creations of heaven and earth. It's all one creation of man and one creation of heaven and earth. Told three times from three different perspectives for three different purposes, each one telling a different part of the story, and men later took them and put them together into one book. And then after that, long after that, other men came and made chapter and verse divisions, which didn't necessarily make sense. That's what we have in Genesis. And that's why these accounts appear to be different creations of man. But the entire scripture makes that idea look pretty ridiculous, as I believe we've done tonight. But you admit you don't have a direct line to God, so we're just going to have to take your word and Scripture's word for it. Well, you know, take the words that I've spoken and compare them to the Scripture. Compare them to the Scripture. That's what we have here. And with that, we'll continue this series next week. All right. Praise Yahweh. Praise Yahweh. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for listening. And good night. So, when you say praise Yahweh, which one? Right. (laughs) Yahweh God, the creator. Exactly. There's only one, and there's only one Adam. The, The creator of the only Adam. All right. Next week, then. Good night.